Welcome into a brand new Tuesday scramble. It is June 14th, 2022, which means it is United States Open Week. I'm Rick Gaiman, that right there, Andy Lack. And Andy, I know in theory, the Masters is, it's objectively a bigger event. This feels bigger. This is this is a moment right now, and a lot of eyes converging on the golf world. I can't think of a tournament with more juice, right? I'm trying to think back in recent memory. I guess this year with the Masters, the return of Tiger was pretty huge, but it didn't feel like global scale, which is what we're dealing with here. We have good versus evil here, right? <laughs> we have the future of the sport here. So I'm fired up, man. I, I can't wait to get into it. I, I was just saying to Mina like 10 minutes ago, Tiger Woods is not playing this event, which is a massive deal. And it has not been spoken about in a week. Right. It is. If Tiger played the event, played the event, is he a top three storyline? I mean, I, yes, the answer is probably yes, I guess. But like, no, I think more people are more curious to see Phil and to see Rory and, and kind of how players are going to respond to certain questions in press conferences and stuff like that. So yeah, it's crazy how the recent developments in our sport are kind of all coming together at the same time at a fantastic historic golf course in one of the best sports cities in the world. Yeah. So we are indeed presented by prize picks. We have props that we're going to go through in just a little bit. The code you're looking for there is Rick. There's a link in the description. You can sign up, get your instant deposit match up to a hundred bucks. I've got a bunch of data that I want to roll through, but um, Eli asks no live talk, please. Sorry, Eli, not going to happen. Uh, obviously one of the biggest stories in our game for quite some time. Phil did his presser on Monday. Andy, did you, did you catch this? I sure did. I uh, I would give him like a C. I just, he kept using the word respect. <laughs> he looked really flustered up there. Like he didn't, you know, he had all this time to prepare for this, obviously. And I still completely understand that probably once you get there, it's a really nerve wracking moment, even for somebody like Phil, who is, you know, he's been there before and in a million different times, but it's still, I looked at it and, and, and I felt that Phil seemed a little bit off and, and it seemed like he was genuinely struggling, which I have compassion for in, in some respects, but I, he just looked to me like a flus, flustered and dejected were kind of the first two adjectives that came to mind for me. Yeah, see, that seems like the right grade. He, he's he stayed on brand. He didn't he didn't say anything. You know, he deflected a lot of questions. He offered respect and made sure that we know that everyone has their own opinion. And if you disagree with his, he respects you and so on and so forth. I didn't think he came off particularly well. Like, you know, Me you've too. had all this, you've had four months or whatever to prepare for this. And when you start getting questions and a reporter asks you two questions and you say, uh, still ask me multiple questions at one time. Or when you have, um, somebody going, you know, the, the families of nine 11 have sent you a letter and this, that, and the other thing. And he cuts her off and says, yeah, yeah, I read all that. Is there a question there? Like maybe not the best way to like get back in the good graces of, of everybody. It, it almost feels like it's full heel Phil Mickelson. And I think, I think it was Dan Rappaport that tweeted about this is it puts journalists 
in kind of an uncomfortable and annoying position because after a certain point, like the journalists are going to start realizing he's just going to give us the same BS for every single answer. We don't want to look stupid up there. And that essentially is the concept of quote unquote sports washing, right? Is that after a certain point, people are just going to get tired of asking the same questions. If these guys are giving the same PR fueled answers and over time, we just forgive and forget and move on. Um, And I think those were probably the, you know, the live guys were given specific, very, very specific talking points, yes. right? And they're not going to stray away from it. So after a certain point, you know, you can ask them these questions all they want, but they're not going to show their hands, you know? So um, I think it's a tricky position that we're in right now. And I'm not sure that we're going to get any more answers from any of these guys. The best question I thought it came towards the end and someone asked they because because you know these these live guys they've been um their talking points include a couple of things. Wow, this is an exciting new format. That's number one. And also we're growing the game. We've been hearing that for a year. And towards the end of that presser, somebody asked Phil, outside of playing golf, I heard this. What did, yeah. What did you do to grow the game last week in London? And Phil's like, there are a lot of kids there. (laughs) Phil's eyes lit up, right? Yeah, there were a lot of kids there, which I can assure you is not unique to London and it's not unique to to live golf. There are a lot of kids on the PGA Tour circuit and the Corn Ferry and the LPGA and the Challenge, like all that stuff. That's everywhere. That's that's not unique to London. And I, I just thought that was such a good question because that I and I wish I knew who asked it was like. Hey, I'm just going to take one of your talking points and just like prove it. Just prove it. (laughs) It's such an interesting uh, juxtaposition, right? Because as fans, we just want them to be honest. I think most fans probably agree that if they were just transparent about the fact, look, it's a ton of money. It sets up my kids for generational wealth right? Most human beings are going to act in the best interest of what's best for themselves and for their families, not what's best for foreign policy and, you know, global economics and morality, right? That's just human nature. It's basic human psychology, right? But the live talking points from the PR that they get are probably the one thing that we don't want you to say is we took the money, right? So they're there. We just want them to be honest but they're never going to actually say that. So it just creates this thing where it's like, no one is really winning. We're not getting honesty out of our top stars. Um, And then there's this whole other thing with, you know, the product and and all that stuff too. But anyway. Well, the the best counterpunch that the PGA Tour could have ever had was Rory, JT, and Tony Finau battling it out the same week that Charles Schwartzel, Penny Duplessis and Brandon Grace were battling it out. And now it feels like a punch counterpunch, PGA versus live WWF versus, you know, ECW or WCW or whatever. It's just like, if it, it just now feels like we've got, yeah, like you kind of said, the good guys versus the bad guys. And it's all coming to head in, you know, one of the most historic his, uh, cities in, the country, Boston Tea Party. I mean, they have so many, they have so many options here. Um, I was a little, I'm curious to get your take. 
I thought they could have had a lot more fun with the pairings. I completely understand the idea of wanting to protect its players from this turning into a sideshow, right? Like, remember last year at the U.S. Open when everyone was like, oh, are they going to pair Brooks and Bryson? Doesn't it feel like ages ago, by the way, when we were talking about the Brooks-Bryson feud? Which at the time was like the biggest drama golf has ever had. (laughs) Oh, yeah, completely. And I remember coming into that U.S. Open, we kept talking about are they going to pair Brooks and Bryson together? No, they're never they're never going to do that. They don't want their tournament to turn into a side. So I think some of them probably view it as doing a disservice to their players. But what do you think of the pairings? I thought they could have done had maybe a little more fun. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Right? I, it's I I again to your point. I was not expecting anything crazy. Right? I was not expecting uh, Rory and Phil and Dustin Johnson or something like that. You yeah. know, what I, mean? I just it just was it, it was never going to happen anyway so um I, I think i got essentially what i expected from it did you see this rick um i believe kyle porter tweeted this out uh some of the practice round pairings for today did you see that uh rom is playing with na and mickelson are you putting any stock into that uh no but i okay there have been there have been whispers, very light whispers that Rom has been not fully out on Liv. Really? Uh, okay, I hadn't very, heard that. Very, very, very quiet whispers that I'm not putting too much stock in. But I, I, I did see those pairings. Uh, I also saw, you know, HV3 is with, uh, I think, Dustin Johnson. When there's been plenty of speculation that HV3 has you know, an offer on the table or is potentially already planning on, on going to, to live golf. Uh, it, it is interesting to see when those guys basically have a choice of who they play with and who they want to spend time with, who, who they actually choose. Right. By the way, I didn't catch this this morning, but Eli in the chat is saying Rom just had a press conference. So maybe he did address this. I'm, I'm sure he did. And I think I uh, saw some quotes, but again, he, he basically, I, I believe he's going to remain on the PGA tour and I'm not sure it's all that close. There has just been like, Oh, well, you know, he's friend. It, basically what, what you were saying is like, he's friends with a lot of these guys. He likes them. They're going to put earworms in, in, you know, in his brain for a while. Like I I'm, I'm not concerned about the PGA tour losing, losing John Rom, but it's like 1%, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm just like reading the chat too. He said, apparently in the press conference, my heart is with the PGA yeah. tour also mentioned the format didn't interest him. That's good to hear. I think Rom would be like an absolutely crushing blow. Let me ask you a question. Cause now, you know, you're technically media, mm-hmm. uh, especially for this week. What do you, do you think that, uh, players say, I don't know, Victor Hovland or a call more or, Xander Shoffley, do you think that there any of them should kind of come out or are going to come out and say, look, this is where we're at. We're not, we're with the PGA tour. Or do you think that those guys are going to continue to keep their cards close to their chest and let it play out and kind of keep their options open? So they don't maybe look as stupid as DJ did when he releases that statement and right. goes back on it. I, I, I don't think you'll, I do not think you'll continue to get uh, pledges of a, of allegiance. I, I I don't think you'll you'll get that because also one I don't think anybody cares, and now we don't trust anybody, right? Dustin Johnson, you know, four months later after this great statement or even a hundred days, whatever it was, he he's gone. Bryson DeChambeau in a matter of a week, 
you know, seemingly changed his mind. So the statements of allegiance do not matter. And I also, I, I do not believe we will continue to get them. You're just going to have guys that, uh, like, like you said, I think, I think they're going to stop being, stop being asked about it eventually. Uh, it's just the topic of conversation for this week. Right. I completely agree. And to come full circle with my point, like, I don't think that we're going to get answers from a lot of the guys that we are probably most fascinated with, right? Like a fascinating one to me, for example, Rick is someone like Hideki, because I think if Liv was really smart, they would throw big money at Hideki because now you're cornering the entire Japanese market. I mean, this guy is Tiger Woods in Japan. You want to talk about a global product and quote unquote growing the game. Like right. if you get Hideki and you start having events in Japan, like Hideki has the most media attention around him from the entire Japanese media for like a master. Suddenly they're going to the live events too. You're, you're creating, you're, now you're globalizing it. Right. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of interesting dominoes that that could still fall. And I don't know if we're going to get a lot more, uh, more understanding on it this week, unfortunately. Well, that's why the whole grow the game thing falls flat is because there, there's so many ways to grow the game. Like, like buy the Asian tour and give Hideki $300 million or $500 million. And for the next 20 years, watch your tour become the greatest tour on the globe like that that's one way to grow the game but that's not really the plan here there's also there's also problems with how are they going to develop their own stars which is unlikely to happen they're just gonna have to continue to pick stars who have you know a, at least for like a decade they're gonna have to continue to pick stars. there's just this is a it's not a great business plan but that's not the point it they're not they're not trying no, to be in it. they're yeah their business plan is let's disrupt white money on fire and hopefully you forget about some of the other stuff going on in our country. And the the PGA Tour can't compete with that, right? They can't get into an arms race with a um, a league that doesn't need to have any business plan. The PGA Tour needs to make money to be a successful business, right? That's why they need to have TV contracts. They need to have commercials. All, everyone's saying like, Oh, the live entertainment product was so good. Yeah. It's a lot easier when you don't have to have commercials. It's a lot easier when you don't have to have the CEO of your company come on on Sunday in the final round and talk about how meaningful this tournament, this is to their company, right? Live doesn't have to do any of that stuff because they can light money on fire and nothing matters, right? The PGA tour for the PGA tour to have any semblance of long-term success has to run an actual business that makes some sense. Right. And the growing the game thing to, to go back to what you said about that too. It's like growing the game is when Harold Varner goes to a low income neighborhood and, you know, teaches a lot of kids how to play golf, which he does all the time, by the way, I think he did it last week at the Canadian open, right? That's what growing the game is. Right. And Varner's another guy that it looks like is going to go to live too. So even the guys that are going to live, they know that that act is not what's growing the game because they've shown us before that they do know how to grow the game in other ways. So anyway, bingo, bingo, Andy. Um, okay. For us opens, uh, the golf course is usually the star. We're going to talk about the country club. We're going to get to the props. We're going to get to matchups. We're going to get to one and done. We are first going to listen to an ad about Andy's podcast. 
Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field. But I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously, and you've got a recipe for a great podcast. Follow Inside Golf Pod on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. Producer Michael in the chat says, uh, this is getting tiring. We know what your two opinions of live are. Let's move on. He would like us to move on. Luckily, good timing, Michael. We don't take uh, notes from the chat, but it just happens to align with where we're headed right now. The country club, Andy. And you have, uh, as usual, an excellent breakdown on your podcast uh, and also on rickrungood.com. And I think one of the big takeaways for me is that there are kind of two different lenses that we should be looking at the country club through. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Lens number one is what is the country club? You know, this rugged New England golf course with greens that have actually been expanded but are still very small. And also through the lens of what the USGA is going to do to it. And we kind of have to reconcile and find what this golf course looks like after we've viewed through both lenses. A hundred percent. And I think the, the thing that I always harp on is a USGA setup is so distinctly specific and so distinctly different from the way that courses regularly get set up on the PGA tour. Right. So often with USGA setups setup kind of is more influential in how the course plays than architecture, right? Like the, the course that the members at the country club see every single day is going to be very, very different from the course that we see this week. And mm -hmm. what are USGA setups known for? They come in and they narrow the fairways. They make the green super rock hard and they grow out the rough. And generally what that does, Rick, is that um, that caters to a very, very specific skill set, right? The US Open has always been called, this is a major of execution, right? Can you execute the same golf shot over and over again. Can you hit the ball long and straight off the tee? Right. And I think that's what the country club, which is even a shorter than most us open venue is, right. is going to ask of you this week. I think long and straight and, you know, total driving that type of stuff is the name of the game as USGA setups, as they continue to set up courses like this, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, the USGA cannot control weather. They cannot really control how the field plays the golf course. The things they can control, we're likely to see narrow fairways, thick rough. If you look at, you know, just the last handful of champions, Andy, they've been total driving stars, right? I mean, it's Brooks twice, it's Bryson and Dustin and uh, John Rahm, and who I'm missing somebody, Gary Woodland. I mean, it's just been it's been total drivers. But you you pointed something out. Th this is not Aaron Hills right? This is not even Tory. This is all things considered us open fairly short. Is it not hundred percent? I mean, it's still going, I think it's going to play longer than Southern Hills played. Like if you actually run through the holes and map out the holes of this is something I talked a lot about in the article too, was it's going to play longer, uh, 
and you're going to have a lot more long irons in your hands than the scorecard suggests. But with all that being said, Rick, I wouldn't call length of the course a top three defining characteristic of Brookline. The, the defining characteristic of Brookline is not its length. Its length is not its biggest test, um, his test at all. It's its biggest test is these tiny, tiny greens. Like that is what Brookline is known for. It has these very tilted, quick greens that are the smallest in major championship golf outside of Pebble Beach. And guess what? They're more undulating than Pebble Beach's <laughs> greens. So that is the kind of conversation that's going to dominate the week is the small greens. And the other thing that I'm not sure people are going to realize until they tune in on Thursday is I, I used the word rugged earlier, which is like, okay, there are a lot of venues where every, and we kind of saw this at Southern Hills, right? Where everything gets shaved down and balls will kind of naturally, you miss the green, they'll kind of naturally roll to either collection areas or they'll roll just to the middle of bunkers or something like that. That's not this, right? Like you're going to have some thicker, like fescue that catches balls as they're going into bunkers, but it gets hung up there. Like there, there's more randomness kind of involved in missing some of these greens yeah a hundred percent um chocolate drop mounds is a Love term it. that you'll hear a couple of times this week certainly and basically what chocolate drops mounds are is uh the terrain the topography of this area of new england tends to be very rugged as you mentioned right so the land is not really flat so what a very good architect like gil hans is going to do is hey, we're going to use these kind of bumps and rolls in the natural land. We're not going to try and bulldoze over them. And they're going to turn into these very unique hazards, right? Hazards. These very variable hazards. Um, and that's fun. That's awesome. That is what golf in certain parts of the world should be. They should play to the land. And a good designer is going to use what he has with the land. And that is kind of typical of New England, right? I grew up playing golf in, in this type of area and you get a lot of humps and hollows and bumps around the greens. And I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch this week, Rick, because it's going to be the type of situation where we're coming down the stretch on Sunday and somebody's going to miss a green five yards right and we're going to have no idea what his lie is going to be like. I'll just ask you a loaded question. If you do not have a great short game. Do you stand a chance? So I talked about this with, with Mayo a little bit on the podcast that I did yesterday. I do. And this spells good news for Victor Hovland too. I do think that there's less skill involved um, just in terms of the granular skill of a golf shot hitting off of tight lies versus chipping off of thick rough because For you can, sure. you could slide the club under it a little bit easier. Bryson actually has talked about this before where he yeah. said, and, and that's why he's maybe he's had so much success at a course like winged foot or Bay Hill. Right. Um, and, and Hovland to that extent as well. Hovland won the U S amateur at Pebble beach. That's a USGA setup with tiny greens and thick rough. Holland as an amateur won low amateurs at the 2019 U S open at Pebble beach. He finished like 12th. Hovland also almost won Bay Hill. Hovland finished top 15 at winged foot too. What do all those courses have in common? You're not getting as many shaved areas around the greens as right. you were getting at a Southern Hills or an Augusta national. 
So yes, I do think that, uh, I, I don't want to say short game is neutralized here because <laughs> it's not, Right. But I do think that I am less worried about a Hovland here than I am at an Augusta or Southern Hills, if that makes sense. Yeah, very, very fair. Um, okay, I love this. Andy's full course breakdown. You can listen to it on his podcast. You can read about it on uh, rickrungood.com. But let's continue to chug along here. We're going to get into the props. The coach you're looking for there is Rick. You go over to prize picks. You enter that. You get your... 100% instant deposit match. And then we're going to talk through the board and we're going to hit that on the other side. I've recently started using Juice Reel as a way to track all my bets in real time. Since I can sync the app to all my sports books, I don't miss any wager and I've learned a ton more about my betting habits. There are built-in line shopping features, so I know that I'm always getting the best lines available, and once the game starts, I can see the value of my bets fluctuate in real time with the scoring so that I always have an understanding of my expected value. The performance analytics have made me much more knowledgeable about the bets that I have the most success at, hint, top 10s, and there's no going back for me. Download the Juice Reel app with the link in the description. All right, Andy, let's prop it like it's hot here. And I've got the, uh, let me try to make this board a little bit easier to read. So here are the props over at Prize Picks, and they are offering a variety of different options. Uh, fairways hit, greens and regulation, birdies are better, strokes. Those are the normal ones. And they've been going back to these birdies or better matchups where all the lines are zero and they pair two guys that seemingly have no business being with one another. Uh, and then for major championships, we see these, which are essentially to make the cut props. Uh, if they call them holes played and all the lines are set at 36 and a half holes played, Andy. So it's basically saying, is this guy going to make the cut or not? Which I love. I love the make the cut ones a hundred percent. And I think I haven't yet. I think a, you can at most sports books now, right? You can bet on basically every golfer to make or miss the cut. And I would doubt that, you know, you're kind of looking to try and find are any of these guys going to be minus money to make a cut, right? Yes. So um, it, it seems like they're still rolling them out, but uh, Bet365 has these. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook has some of these. Patrick Reed is minus 150 to make the cut. So that would be the over if you want to take that side of it. The other guys weren't listed. I'll check back later today to see if they're in there. But that was the one that I found that that read is minus 150 to make the cut. Yeah, they gave us a bunch of squeamish ones, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, There's no Roy McElroy here. <laughs> right, exactly. They gave us all the ones where it's like, eh, that one feels a little 50-50 to me. So Good, good on prize picks for doing that. I mean, I think that just looking at it here, does anyone stick out to me? Uh, I think Kisner's going to have, I would probably lean on the side because think about it, Rick, the U S open is 156 players and it's only top 60 in ties. Um, it's probably the hardest cut to make in a major championship, right? Because yeah. the PGA is a little bit of same size field, but that's 65 masters is obviously the easiest cut to make. So, you know, a guy like Kevin Kisner, who is short and not always accurate off the tee, that could be a, that could be a very short week for him. Not like he's been playing very well either. So yeah, that's, least you know. That's that's an interesting one. Leishman, who always I, I've never gotten right in my entire life, just like <laughs> the guy sprays it, which is 
going to be troublesome here. He's going to have to work really hard if he's constantly playing out of that, that thick stuff. So, um, that that's holes played when you look at the strokes, Andy. So they have really just said, uh, so 70 is par. So there is not a line under par, uh, and they're ranging from basically 70 and a half to 72 and a half. They did give us Phil at 74, which, uh, I think I'm just going to smash the over. Really? That one feels, yeah, that feels semi-fair to me. You think over? I Okay. We don't have much information about Phil. We have three rounds on in live golf and mm -hmm. he was bad. He was yeah. really bad. And it's not like, it's not like the country club is a better fit for him than Centurion was. <laughs> No, no, it's it's certainly not. I mean, it, we saw him uh, come in on Monday of this week, so he's been he has some familiar feel familiarity with the course. He has been playing, but there is absolutely no way to gauge the state of Phil's game. I was trying to do this with some of the live guys, Rick, because you know I was looking from a DraftKings perspective. I think a lot of the live guys you're going to be able to get a lot of leverage on them in DraftKings because people just don't have any interest. And I was trying to find some of the stats. The best we can do is you can get the traditional ones and you have to like email them. I don't even think they're out to like public access on their website. It's really, really tough to get a beat on where these guys games are at. So yeah, I think, you know, I'd probably choose the over with Phil. Um, but these seem fair to me, right? Like are, are, do, do these seem low high to you? They seem pretty fair to me. No, I think these are, I think these are generally fine. I think where the biggest edges are coming are the birdie or better matchups, which I've had a, a bunch of people email me. Cause remember we were saying like, I, I think we've done two or three weeks of this and we were like, just take, take the star, take the guy, the a guy in these matchups. And I had a bunch of people like DM me or send me an email. That's like, Hey, I've been playing the A guy and it, I've been, I've been crushing it. So we're, I think it's starting to normalize a little bit. The first week was a little weird. After that, I think it's gotten much more favorable. Right. Like, I mean, this week, Justin Rose for Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is the highest priced golfer in DraftKings. Justin Rose is 7,100. I mean, how much stock are we putting into one amazing round of golf from Justin Rose and reports from the ground that I've heard have been that Scheffler is just absolutely crushing it um, in the practice rounds. And he looks super comfortable and he's cutting the corner with his driver and, and just bombing it. So uh, Scheffler over Rose, that's where my money will be. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to do that one to start. Yeah, so you mentioned Scheffler over Rose. So what I did is I compiled um, over the last 24 rounds, and maybe I could have done a different time frame, but last 24 rounds, all of the matchups and how often each golfer makes three or more birdies or better, four or more, five or more, or six or more to kind of see floor versus upside. And then I highlighted the ones that I thought were kind of the biggest differences. And Scotty Scheffler, certainly uh, one of the bigger differences. He makes three or more birdies, 91% of his rounds. Justin Rose only does it 79%. Scotty Scheffler makes four or more birdies, uh, four, uh, 75% of his rounds. Rose does it half the time. He just, I mean, he just laps them in really all these categories. Sometimes you'll see guys who, you know, they don't make three birdies as often, but when they do, they make like five, right? They're like kind of high ceiling guys. Do you like this as an aid? Um, and, and what kind of time frame would you prefer to look at for something like this? 
Yes, I do like it as an aid. I would probably say with birdies, you want to probably compare short-term and long-term, right? You want to look at their kind of their long-term baseline and say, okay, over time, is this the type of guy that uh, goes really low, thrives in easier scoring conditions, is the type of guy that's comfortable going low and filling it up and has a game that has a lot of volatility in it? Or is this a steady guy like a, Fitzpatrick or or Amito kind of fits that mold where it's a lot of pars and they're very, very steady. There's not a lot of volatility involved. And then kind of compare that with, okay, what have they been doing recently? Are they playing really well right now? So yeah, I like that tool a lot. I mean, I think there's what you're going to see probably what that tool is really helpful at identifying is, okay, of the underdogs in all mm-hmm. of these matchups, what matchups are closer than we think, right? Like, for right. example, uh, I, I'm doing this kind of anecdotally, but a guy like Cameron Young, who's matched up against Rom, your immediate thought is, okay, Rom is way better at making birdies than Cameron Young. Well, it's like, well, maybe it's a little closer than you think. Davis Riley, another one, clear underdog, but yeah. you know, it, maybe it's a little bit closer than you think. So I think this tool can maybe help you identify some of the, the underdog ones too. Yeah, so for those who are just listening and not watching on YouTube, the ones that I highlighted, and I tweeted this out, so you can go look at all the numbers yourself. Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Cam Smith, Will Zalatoris, Patrick Cantlay. Then on the other side of the board, Sam Burns. Technically Bryson, although with the sample size and the injury, you could just throw that out. Same with Louis Ustase, and he hasn't played all that much. And then I rounded out with Mito, Harris English, and another sample size issue in Phil Mickelson. So take it for what it's worth. The, the data is all available to you, Andy. But I'm thinking... um on average, you know, like four four birdies or better likely wins you a matchup, especially at a U.S. Open <laughs> setup. I, I think I think that's where most of these guys hover for fifty percent rates. If you can get a guy who makes four birdies or better, you're very likely to win your matchup. Hundred percent. I mean, there's no real birdie holes at the Country Club. Go through hole by hole. Fourteen, the second par five. That's going to play over par. I, yes. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Eight is going to be a little bit more easy. That's probably going to be the easiest hole in the course, but we're not going to see a ton of birdies there because if you do not hit the ball in the fairway, you are not reaching that green in two and you're forget birdie. You're going to have a difficult par, right? So there's just not a lot of holes. Five is a drivable par four that most guys are going to be able to hit driver, but there's the country club has no holes where you step on the tee and you're like, okay, uh, four is, closer to what you know is guaranteed than a five there's no there's no holes like that if you make birdie on any hole you're picking up a you're picking up something on the field right so yeah if you know a guy that makes three or that feels a little high to me just looking at like the individual birdies or better gain i think like four birdies at the country club is a damn good round in my opinion Oh, geez. I'm clicking through all my tabs here. Uh, you guys are seeing my HQ notes for later. Yeah. So Justin Thomas, <laughs> <laughs> a little behind the scenes there. Uh, Justin Thomas. Uh, so he makes, okay. So he makes four birdies or more 66% of the time, but that is on PGA tour courses that, I mean, that is going to come significantly down when we get here. So like when you start looking at, I mean, even Morikawa struggled to make a lot of birdies recently, and now he's going to a harder setup. So you could use this tool to kind of look at the the birdie or better side of things as as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, are there any of 
what's kind of the biggest one that stands out to you, either the matchup or then, or an individual one. Um, so I think the biggest matchup that sticks out to me is, uh, I, I like Scheffler versus Rose. I'm glad we, I'm glad we talked about that one because I think people are going to really overest over overestimate what they saw from Justin Rose on, on Sunday. But, um, Will, Will Zalatoris versus Russell Henley is a pretty good one as well. Zalatoris beats him in basically all those scenarios. You get to a major championship, you know where that that's kind of where Zalatoris' game thrives. I th- Those are the two that kind of stuck out to me. Right. Makes sense. Hmm. Um, all right. Well, maybe they give us... I'll be interested to see as the week goes on, if they do any hole by hole stuff, because it's gotta be par, right? <laughs> so I'm going to be curious to see where they go. Cause there are a lot of fun holes at the country club with a lot of variability involved that maybe you could even, if a par four, you could probably set it like 4.5. That would be kind of fun. That would be fun. Um, okay. The code you're looking for is Rick. Go over to Prize Picks. Use the code. There's a link in the description. You get your deposit match. You take their money. Everybody wins. Uh, we have head-to-head matchups. We have one-and-done selections. And uh, there were a couple of comments in the chat that I think I want to get to. So we'll hit those on the other side. If you're not playing daily fantasy on prize picks, then you're not really playing daily fantasy. They offer nothing but props and they do it better than anyone else. You pick two to five players on an over under and can win up to 10 times on any entry. They allow mixed sport entries, meaning you can take the over on LeBron James and the under on John Rahm. The golf specific props are amazing. Birdies or better, fairways hit, greens in regulation, round score, and now, yes, single hole props that's right what score will a golfer make on a specific hole i have prize pick specific tools on my website to help you build the best entries and now prize picks is offering a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 just use the code rick at sign up or click the link in the description that's code rick good luck okay andy uh real quick before we get into matchups here eric asks what is the ideal size player pool for 20 DraftKings lineups? Good question. I that I use about for 20 DraftKings lineups, I think 15 to 18 is is a pretty good pool size and in, in my opinion, depending on how aggressive you want to be. I I like to be somewhat aggressive, right? So I would say maybe 15, 15 ish, 16. Yeah, it's a little bit of personal preference because the tighter you are, the higher risk, higher reward situation you're right. going to get into. So it's not like there's a correct answer to this, but hopefully that helps, Eric. This is an interesting one. In Dynasty slash Keeper Leagues, which is rare, but these are getting way more popular from the, the comments that I get. How do you value the live players? Do you keep players like DJ and Bryson because of their upside at majors despite not, not accumulating points for a large majority of the year? They've got to be worthless. Right. I mean, if you're only if you, if we assume they're only going to play four events a year, and that's a pretty big assumption because we don't know what the OWGR situation is going to be. Uh, I can't imagine holding a roster spot for a guy who's going to play four times a year, even if it is the four biggest events, is advantageous. Hundred percent. I'm with you. I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but I would drop a guy like Patrick Reed for a Cameron Tringale right now, because at, at least I know with some of these other guys that, okay, this guy at least has 
going to play the rocket mortgage. He's going to play the John Deere. He has a chance to make some money there. Um, we're not going to see any of these guys on the PGA tour for the foreseeable future until a policy change is made on either side. Right. So yeah, I would probably say drop them because your best chance is some of these guys like DJ and Bryson and Phil and Reed finishing top five, top 10 in a major four times a year. And can we really say that we feel good about that for any of the current live players? Mm, no, we cannot. Jared asks, can you dive a bit into strokes gain around the green and scrambling and what the key difference is and what might be a better stat to look at? So on the surface, scrambling is just like what percentage of time you get up and down when you miss a green strokes gain around the green uh, takes more into account, like, how well you hit that shot. So, so let's say you're green side and uh, you chip it to 30 feet and make the putt. You're a hundred percent in scrambling. Doesn't care if you did that or if you hit it to two inches and tapped it in strokes gain around the green would determine how much better you were at that shot than your peers. Uh, do you have a, like this week, I do think I'll, I'll always use kind of strokes game around the green or strokes game, short game, Andy, but, um, scrambling to me is such a traditional stat of like, did you make par, right? Like, did you get mm -hmm. up and did you make par, which making par at a U.S. open is incredibly valuable. Yeah. I think scrambling and bogey avoidance are two stats that I use pretty sparingly, but when I use them, I'm looking to identify players over a large sample size that are grinders, right? That that find a way to get the ball in the cup. And I think the biggest difference that I would say with scrambling and around the green is like if somebody hits the ball in a water hazard and they have to hit their third shot from uh, like 110 yards out and they stick it to two feet and they make the putt that is going to be 100% in scrambling. That shot is not going to be an around the green shot. It's going to be an approach shot, right? So scrambling just encompasses how can you make par? Whereas around the green, I believe is only limited to anything you do inside like 40 or 50 yards, right? For, yeah. 40 yards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 40 yards that are not on the green. <laughs> Is basically what around the green is. Um, okay, let's do our matchups here. I was two, two, and one last week. You were three, one, and one. And what I tried to do, I got some comments and I thought these were were right. Uh, I tried to go a little bit further down the board, Andy. Instead of just going with the 10 most popular guys or the five biggest matchups, allows us to talk about some more golfers. So the first one out of the gate, Taylor Gooch versus Terrell Hatton. Uh, you and I have both chosen the same golfer, and it's Taylor Gooch, believe it or not. Yeah, I have this thing with Terrell Hatton where I've started to realize he complained about Augusta National. He complained <laughs> about Southern Hills. He complained about St. George's. Uh, last time I checked, Brookline is a top 100 golf course in the world, just like all of those four courses. So as long as Terrell Hatton continues to go to top 100 golf courses in the world with interesting thought-provoking architecture that actually makes you think, he's a fade for me. I'll take him at Torrey Pines or Bay Hill or TPC Craig Ranch, but interesting architecture and Terrell Hatton don't seem to be jiving right now. Yeah, he's going to hate it. And uh, Taylor Gooch, you know, I, I think advanced metrics wise, he's definitely the best guy who went to live golf. He's a, a good ball striker. He 
I, I don't know what it's worth, but he finished ninth last week and he kind of made a charge uh, over the final round, round and a half. So, so Taylor Gooch is who I've opted with there. His buddy, Max Homa, is in our next matchup. That's Max Homa versus Joaquin Neiman. This was this was difficult for me. I I went with Homa. I believe that um, I love it when when narratives and stats align, Andy. And we had Homa on the first cut a couple of months ago, and he was like, "Yeah, I understand that around the green and short game is my weakness. We're working really hard on it. The stats are starting to bear that out a little bit. And and when you start to see those two things match up, I think it's a really good sign for a golfer. I think Joaquin Neiman's going to win the U.S. Open. I bet I'd Joaquin be Neiman to win. Yeah, cool. I. That's a bold take, uh, <laughs> but but I, I I really really like Neiman this week. I look at a guy who has made one of the more underrated transformations in his uh, early career with what he's turned into around the green. I mean, talk about turning a weakness into a strength. You look at Neiman's early career around the green numbers, and he was it was a big weakness for him. And now he's turned in, it's he's turned it into a strength. You want to talk about somebody who can dominate a course off the tee. I mean, we're talking about a guy who went wire to wire at Riviera, right. And, and one, right. one of the biggest tournaments of the year in front of Tiger Woods. I, I think that he absolutely has, you know, the stones to win a major. So I'm going to roll with Neiman here. Yeah, he's awesome. I'd love to see that happen. Um, Billy Ho, Billy Horschel versus Corey Connors is next. Andy, what side would you like here? So I went with Billy Ho. I don't. I have a little cold feet with that. I'm going to stick with Billy Ho just for the purposes of this. But did you see uh, a video came out this morning about like his hand being injured? He hurt his finger on the boat, Andy. You know how like he injured injured the finger. He said he hadn't swung a golf club as of yesterday for the last week. He was out there uh, playing with it. He 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 was saying it's not going to be a it's not going to be a problem, but. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Con look, don't get me wrong. Connors is definitely a way safer play. I still am probably going to play Billy in DraftKings because I think if anything, that's going to crater yeah. the ownership even more. And, you know, I just, I play aggressively in that format. And as Rory said with Lev, like you lie in the bed that you make. And those are the decisions I tend to make. Um, so I'll go with Billy, I guess, but Connors is probably safer. Uh, I, really love the way Connors is playing. I hate that he's missed all three cuts at U S opens. I hate that, but he is now, I believe holding the, the current streak of gaining strokes off the tee. I think when Rom lost off the tee, that was like a 40 event stretch. I think Connors at like 33 or something outrageous. Wow. And he has, he's fixed the short game. He's a positive putter now and yeah. he's good around the green. Like Corey Connors is going to win like, two PGA tour events in the next eight months. I don't know if it's, I don't know if the U S open is in the mix, but like, I'm very, very excited about what Corey Connors has become. So I'll take him over Horschel here. That's another one of those narratives that I think is maybe a little overblown. It's like Corey Connors can't chip or putt. Well, the stats don't like totally back that up. So right. anyway, yeah, he's gotten a lot better. Uh, KH Lee versus Luke list. This was me giving a mic or whoever emailed me like, Hey, go further down the board and find some guys. Okay. Uh, I, I just think this is like, this is a Luke list setup, right? This is not mm -hmm. a cage Lee setup. I don't think we have to spend a ton, ton, <laughs> ton of time on this one. I think we both like Luke list. I like him as a sleeper in DraftKings. I think he's going to have a good week. Uh, Shane Lowry versus Sung J M. This was also a difficult one. I opted for Lowry as did you, Andy. He has just been 
he's been awesome, right? He's gaining like two strokes per round over his last 36. The short game is there. I think he uh, has the required creativity around the greens. Like I, I'm very, very excited for Shane's chances. Yeah. I mean, I like both of these guys this week, but I just feel like I'm getting more with Lowry. I mean, I would imagine Lowry's like minus 140, minus 150 in this one. There's about a $1,500 difference in them in DraftKings. Um, so I'm going to rock with Lowry here. I like both of these guys a lot. I bet Sung JM to win, right? Uh, but I probably feel a little bit better about Lowry if you're just asking me to pick a side in a matchup. He is, I think he's, uh, he's minus 120 in this matchup versus hmm. Sung Feels a little short to me. Even yeah. me. I, I agree with you. Uh, one and done. Now, I had a good week last week. I had Sam Burns, 391,500 bucks. Great return from Sam Burns. Unfortunately, for me, not for you, you had Tony Finau, who drains a, what, 38-footer on 18 for solo second and $948,000. So that lead that I've been chipping into has now gotten larger for you. And I will tell you, Andy... With who I have available and with kind of what transpired last week, uh, it, it felt kind of daggerish to me. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I felt like the my my opportunity of calling calling back into this as I was making great progress. I, I feel like I'm now on the wrong side of it. I needed my back up against the wall. I needed to face some adversity. It'd been too smooth sailing for me all season. And then I saw you starting to chip into that lead. And there we go with Tony Finau. He delivers for me. I mean, I would have obviously loved to see him win, but I'm feeling, I feel like I'm back a little bit in the driver's seat. I feel like I have just a little bit more breathing room. And I'll be honest, Rick, I don't know if you've noticed this in the outline. I've changed my pick twice already. Um, but can I give it away now? Please, yes. Okay. So basically, I've been going back and forth between Xander Shoffley and Rory McElroy six times in the last, you know, day. And I think where I centered on is I think Rory McElroy is going to win the Open Championship. I think he's more likely to win the U.S. Open this week than he is than Xander is, but I think he's way more likely to win at St. Andrews than Xander is, if that makes mm. sense. So I'm going to roll with Xander Shoffley here. Um, he's played in five U.S. Opens and he hasn't finished worse than seventh, right? I think the only other guy that's done that is a man by the name of Bobby Jones. Um, pretty good record to me, if you ask me. Um, I don't need Xander to win. I would love if Xander wins, but Grab me another top seven, Xander, and we'll be on our way. Right. Yes, that's that's exactly right. And I was actually surprised to see that you hadn't used Xander yet. When I saw that in the outline, I was like, I got to double check this. And <laughs> sure enough, you had him available. I, I'm kind of handcuffed. Again, this is as I was scrolling through the odds board and who I had available, that dread was coming over me of, I think I'm cooked. Like I just, with what happened last week and what I have moving forward, I think I'm cooked. And uh, basically it's Shane Lowry. It's, it's the guy who has the best odds that I had available and a guy that I think is playing great. And I think that he possesses a lot of the attributes that could be really handy at the country club. Do I think he's going to win? No, probably not. Um, but I, I'm kind of 
I'm kind of stuck here. And that's why, that's why I'm worried about my chances moving forward. Let me ask you this. When you mapped it out early in the season, like before mm -hmm. the season, who did you have as your U.S. Open guy? Because yeah, for me, me, it was Xander. Xander was the guy I was saving specifically for the U.S. Open. I almost went off script and took Rory just because I was so impressed with how Rory looked at Canada. But I would imagine like trying to think strategy for a larger size pool. I would imagine maybe Xander isn't the best choice because I think a lot of people look at the U.S. Open record and we're probably saving him for here. I So again, when I do this in G December, um, I had Brooks Kepka for this spot. Hmm. Now he's not had a, he's not had a good year, right? Like this is the first time we mentioned his name 53 minutes into the show. Right. I imagine that you would want to go off script with that one. Who is a better week in your opinion, Bryson, DJ or Brooks? Oh, I think it has to be Brooks, right? I mean, Bryson hasn't played well, still knocking the rust off. I don't think this is a good setup for him. DJ, uh, it might be DJ, but I, I, I think, I think we're going to get decent decent he's decent brooks this week hmm i'd go dj because at least at least i know with dj that he's been playing i mean he finished eighth and lev why isn't brooks playing like brooks usually plays the week before the majors this is now the second week in a row that he hasn't played the week before the majors he's played like twice in the last what two and a half months so i think i feel a little bit more comfortable about DJ. Are you put last question? Cause I know we got to get out of here. Are you playing any of those guys in DraftKings at like five sub 5% ownership? Uh, no, I'd be more willing to play DJ of the live guys. Like I'll play Reed, but I don't, uh, his ownership's probably going to be over, over 5%, but that's, yeah. uh, that's probably where I'll go. I think Reed's the most interesting of the guys that have, that have bounced. I kind of like Gooch as a low owned guy. And yeah. I, I, I mean, DJ is somebody I'm considering too at like 5% as well. So mm. anyway, I love it. Uh, Andy, we will not be here on Friday. That is, that is my fault because I'm going to the U S open. Uh, it, uh, there's going to be no way for me to go live at noon or any time on Friday from the gawk. Like it's just, it's just not going to happen. So that's on me. So I appreciate you uh, working with me there. What we are going to still do, however, is we're going to put some graphics together and release some prop selections, and we'll just tweet those out because uh, I know that's what a lot of people come for, and we still want to fulfill that, but we're not, we're not going to go live on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I wish you the best at this U.S. Open. I, I'm not going to make you go back to your hotel room in the middle of U.S. Open Friday to do a show with me. I think, you know, the listeners will completely understand that and would watch you at the course tweeting your thoughts and enjoying yourself anyway and, you know, asking the hard-hitting questions. And the, Do you think you're, like, because I... How does it work in terms of calling on media members at press conferences? Is there a certain like hierarchy thing where they call on the guys that have been there forever first? Like, is it completely random? Like, how does that work? There's definitely a hierarchy for the first question or the first two questions where basically everybody kind of agrees on like what the first question is going to be. Most of the times, like we know we have to ask you this, who's going to ask it? And generally, like the most senior guy who the golfer might respect the most will ask it. And that's Bob kind of, Herrig, yeah, yeah that's like kind that. of uh, agreed upon. And then after that, yeah, it's just raise your hand and um, the moderator 
will get around to you. I don't know if the moderator is biased in terms of like, oh, there's so-and-so from whatever outlet. I'll go there next. It's just like kind of more random than that. Do you have anything you're dying to ask anyone? I doubt I ask a question. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe if, if anybody has a good question for somebody uh, and I'm sitting there, I'll ask it. But I, I don't know. I don't have anything on top of mind. Uh, you get dropped off at the course on Friday morning cause you're or Thursday morning. Cause you're taking a red eye mm -hmm. tomorrow night. Where's the first place you're going, Victor? Vi well, yeah, Victor, or, um, I, I don't, you know, without looking up the tea times, like I, I will get my eyes on Jordan Spieth very quickly on, yeah. on Thursday and yeah. I will get my eyes on Rory McIlroy very quickly and, uh, then go from there. Vic Victor plays in the afternoon. So that'll be nice. Uh, it's right. like an 11 something tea time. So I'll, I'm just excited to get there. Awesome. Well, we mm. got to go. You got first we cut right go. now. I'm going on San Diego local TV. Yeah. So we're out of here. Andy, Andy is available on Twitter at ADP lack sports producer. Mina does all the hard work behind the scenes. Follow me at Rick run. Good. We will see you next week. Tune in on Twitter. There'll be lots more to come. Good luck.